Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. You ever wonder if doctors get sick? Well, I'm going to say we do. You can probably hear it a little bit in my voice today. But we have a great show that I want to have people listen to because we're going to hear stories from people who have been through this. Sometimes people wonder, if you never get sick or if you never have any major symptoms, how would you know if there's something wrong? And what if somebody you love starts to develop symptoms that none of the doctors can explain? Well, we've got two parts to the show today. In the first part, we're going to hear a wonderful story from Kashmir Reed and her daughter, Maya. We're going to talk a little bit about what it's like when something happens in your life, in this case, a pedestrian hit and run, and how that can completely turn your world upside down. And what do you do if what happens when your child comes home with symptoms is that nobody can correctly diagnose them and things are never the same? So we're going to talk about their journey. And in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about what happens when you have a diagnosis and yet the therapy that you need may not be available close to home. So we have a special treat, a special show for, for everyone today. So thank you for joining us. Now, if you do want to talk more with our guests or you have a question about something, you can give us a holler, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. But I'd like to start with our story. Now, Maya Kashmira. Tell me a little bit about what happened. Back in 2011, Maya, you were just a young girl involved in a hit and run. What happened, and how did that start this whole process rolling after that? Well, first of all, first off, I just want to say thank you for having us on the show. It's a great honor, and I really hope that we can share our story and hopefully pe- shed some light and people can get some inspiration or insight on this topic. Um I was just a normal girl. I started off um, one day going to school, and on my way early in the morning, I was hit by a truck. At the time, I didn't think much of it. Um, The truck sped away, and sadly, it was a hit and run, but I didn't have any broken bones. I didn't show signs of a concussion at the time, and I went to a doctor's office and was cleared, but few weeks after and for the past two almost three years now I've been suffering from a variety of symptoms. So now Kashmira what must that be like because here you are your daughter's just walking to school doing her thing and the next thing you know you get a call she's been hit by a truck. I mean I'm sure you're really happy there's no broken bones and everything but that was just the beginning of this journey for you. Absolutely and uh, the worst part of it was that I personally was not in Hawaii. I was on a work trip uh, to the neighbor islands that day. So my husband took care of sort of the next that day and the next day. There was a police report filed. He took her to the pediatrician. And as Maya said, we got a pretty much clear, but watch her, you know. And then uh, she was very achy and just, it was really more soreness from the from the impact but after that as Maya said within a couple of weeks probably a whole slew of conditions and symptoms started uh, which people didn't seem to connect to the car accident so immediately afterwards they wanted you to watch her for concussion symptoms right and because she looked good and it seemed like you were okay everybody just kind of moved on Yes, exactly. But then, Maya, what were some of these symptoms that you started to notice or that people noticed about you 
that happened a couple of weeks later? Well, I first started showing signs of dizziness. At the beginning, the dizziness didn't last for long. Um, when I stood up, I would be dizzy for maybe 30 seconds to a few minutes, and I didn't think much of it. I would just have to sit for a second and stable myself, and the dizziness would get better. Later on, I started to develop headaches, vertigo, nausea, and a whole other amount of symptoms that I couldn't really explain or even knew um, or processed, I could process at the time. Now, Mom, what did you do? Because here's your daughter having all these symptoms. You think it might be related to the accident, or did you think it was at that time? Did you connect the two? Initially, I didn't, but as we kept going to doctor after doctor, I would say, you know, just a few weeks ago or just a few months ago, she had this, she was in a hit and run. But that they didn't seem to want to make the connection, um, but clearly it sort of it happened about a week or two the first dizziness spell and then with definitely within about three weeks to four weeks she was saying mom I really this is getting bad and that's when we started going to these doctors and the pediatrician began to refer us out to different doctors now when you say refer you out you mean to specialists to specialists okay so, so the, your pediatrician said hey I'm not really sure what this is and I know I've been in that position. I'll see people, not pediatrics, but I'll say, you know, I don't know what this is, but there's something here. Right. So I'm going to get some more brains. Let's get some more power to this. Let's get some other folks who might be able to give us their input and give us some suggestions. What kind of doctors were were you seeing, my mom? Where, where did you go? Well, I first went to a neurologist, and he, of course, had me do an MRI to check for any brain damage or the possibility of a tumor since I was experiencing dizziness and headaches after the um, then after that and I was cleared for my MRI there was no issues with that he said I my brain looked beautiful it was fine there was no tumor I was sent to an ENT ear nose and throat doctor I was also sent to a cardiologist and the doctors kept the specialists I kept going to see different specialists as the months and eventually years went by. And the, the specialist would say, oh, I'm sorry, this is not us. You know, this is, for example, the pediatric cardiologist said, um, for example, that dizzy, we found out that dizziness can be a symptom of a migraine, which I wasn't aware of. And so um, after that, we were on standby to see a, a pediatric neurologist because there are not a lot of those on island. So that, that took a while to see. Um, and she did additional tests in the office, um, which got us, that was about a year that we were seeing a, a several different specialists. So you kind of got bounced around from one doc to the next. And like, I, I sort of, I have visions of my patients going through these things, <laughs> you know, saying, I'm not really sure what it is. And I'll send you to an ear, nose and throat specialist, a neurologist, a cardiologist. And you're right. You're often told hey, these, the, these symptoms are definitely your heart by the neurologist, or these symptoms are definitely your brain by the cardiologist. So it gets really frustrating. Now, how long did this all transpire? You said about a year or so when you were seeing different specialists. What was happening with you physically as that year went on? Well, I was first hit by the car in the early fall of 2011, and I was in my junior year of high school at the time. And I kept trying to see specialist after specialist 
to get some relief from the symptoms. But towards the end of my school year, around May, and then eventually through June and through the summer, my symptoms gradually progressed and I was constantly in need of Advil. I had to be put on anti-nausea medication, very strong ones at that, that would cause brain fog and dizziness from basically sedation of the medicine. Um, I went back to school my senior year and my health basically deteriorated. I couldn't go to school for extended periods of time. I had to miss classes and I was seen by a psychiatrist, multiple psychologists. Um, when I may I just one of the things that occurred was that the the neurologist mentioned that with special medications for migraines, there are some medications that are um, provided by psychiatrist care, and so um, she definitely wanted us to go and see a psychiatrist uh, prior to, in order to sort of determine which was the best medicine to take. And so they weren't necessarily saying this is all in your head. I mean, they were, but they weren't. They were saying we need some help with the medications. So first was the diagnosis that you guys were having struggles with. And next came taking a lot of pills of all different side effects. And what actually happened was that every single time I went to a specialist without doing much specified test or without going through a lot of my medical history or asking me an extended amount of questions, they would infer that I had a certain diagnosis by what they knew in their speciality, their specific Speciality, Like, for example, what kind of diagnosis? So I went to an ear, nose, and throat doctor and saw an audiologist, and she thought that I had Meniere's disease. In, in one ear, there was some some borderline possibility in the way the test came out. Yes, and then I went to a neurologist, and he thought that I just had chronic vertigo, and there was nothing else I could do, and just gave me a prescription. Right. He just said people, people get dizzy. People are dizzy, and... We rocked out like, you, you know, that just something. It didn't that, resonate. not enough. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then I saw a another neurologist, a pediatric neurologist, and she thought that I had chronic migraines and that the dizziness and nausea were just symptoms of the chronic migraines. So they weren't telling you, we have no idea. They were saying, hey, you have this. Let's treat this. Then you see somebody else. No, no, no. You have this. No, 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 you have this third thing. So you were getting lots of diagnoses, but they weren't necessarily exactly cohesively explaining your symptoms. Exactly. So now you're in your senior year, and this is an important year in high school. How did this affect your schoolwork? Um, I had to drop the majority of my classes. Um, I couldn't stay in school for extended periods of time. I was at home constantly just lying in bed. I couldn't participate in many senior year exciting events. I couldn't go to any football games. I couldn't um, go to many dances in the beginning. And So pretty much your whole social life and your academic life. Yeah. Poof. Yeah. Crumbles. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was very thankful for my close friends who were able to help me. But other than that, my mind was completely focused on my health, so I couldn't really you know, I don't I don't really regret that. I don't think it was that much to miss out on, but at, during the time it was difficult. What do you wish retrospectively that senior year 
What do you wish would have happened differently? Well, I mostly wish that I could have communicated better. I think because of all the confusing diagnosis diagnoses, I was very self-conscious and I didn't know what was wrong. And I thought I could control it in some way or it was coming from my head and I just wasn't really open about how difficult it was for me. And that's, you know, also another part just of my personality that I don't really like explaining how much pain or how much discomfort I'm in in general. So I definitely wish that I could have communicated more with my teachers and my friends. And I also wish I could have had more self-empowerment to say, you know what, I don't think these are working out. I don't think this fits right. And I need to look for other opinions. Now, mom, this has got to be killing you. I mean, literally, because here's your daughter, senior year, yippee, let's talk about colleges, let's talk about, you know, boys, well, I don't know if you wanted to talk with her about boys, but we'll presume, you know, okay, definitely. let's talk about dances, okay, let's talk about football, all those kinds of events, and you, you see your daughter suffering, not able to enjoy this, what happens next? Well, one of the things you, you inferred a bit earlier was, um, I think there were some people, many people that we've met over the course of this time that gave us the impression that they thought it might be in her head. And You mean psychological? Right. That, okay. There was a psychological so, component, uh, you know, like whether it was um, just fa- fatigue or anxiety or, you know, there are many people that are um, go through very difficult high school years and something happens. So... I, and I did, our our, our pediatric um, neurologist was concerned, and that that was one of the things that drove me batty because, um, you know, you when I, I know a little bit about depression, and when my child is talking to me about what she wants to do, what colleges she wants to go to, what, you know, all of the things in the future, that's not a sign of depression. And so when I see her struggling to go to school as much as she can, she never gave up during all of that time. So, um, so you just could intuitively, see, sure, yeah, that intuitively, was not your daughter. She right. was not depressed, right? And okay. as a mother, I just felt like something is being missed. And I spent most of my weekends and spare time trying to read on the internet. Thank goodness for the internet. Um, I think that it, and thank goodness for great hospitals that provide free information, whether, you know, they have videos or they have information on different diagnoses. Because the thing that um, I found on the internet was something called post-concussion syndrome, which no one had ever brought up. And one of the things that we had um, in her symptoms was a very difficulty swallowing after the accident for quite some time, um, which no one seemed to be able to explain um, and just a, a really strong gag reflex. And so we, um, so can I mention what? what oh, I yeah. Did? I mean, so here we, you are at night. Right. Your weekends and your night, you're doing research for your daughter, trying to figure it out. So, sure, you can mention it. So What I exactly came, did you do? Right. So one weekend, I came across the Mayo Clinic's website. And I'm biased. Yeah. Because, you know, I trained <laughs> And her. we're biased, too. So, you know, when I, when you, this started out because you sent an email to the station and said, I want to help other people. 
I want them to see that there are some things that can be done differently in the islands. And, hey, we had to go all the way to the Mayo Clinic. And I went, oh, I'm so biased. Mayo Clinic, was that in Rochester? Because I spent three years there, (laughs) and they do a great job. So, of course, you can mention it. I'm a big fan. But, okay, so you found a website. Right. And you went there, and they have great medical information. And, by the way, if you want to know something, their website has excellent information. It's not commercially biased. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to sell you stuff. It's not trying to put you on a whole bunch of medicine. It's really designed to educate the lay people about a diagnosis. Absolutely. So you're doing this, right? And you come across. I come this across website. a blog uh, by one of the doctors um, who's actually on this very integrated holistic post-concussion syndrome team, and I had never heard of that expression. So when I read the symptoms, the brain fog and the dizziness and the headaches and the lights and it was all like bells things, were ringing yeah, in I was your like, head. Wow, yeah. this this might be it. Um, so I told Maya about it, and I emailed the doctor, and she emailed me back that day. And when she heard what has had been going on, she had so much empathy, and she said, "Oh my gosh, we have to, we have to see her. You know, you guys can come next week. We can expedite you." Um, so that was early December. Yeah, you went to Minnesota in December. Her right yes. her already first. already. I am very impressed because her first spent, experience with winter. Three winters in Minnesota. Yeah, I know. My family's in the East Coast. They're complaining about snow and stuff. But you don't hear about people in Minnesota complain about snow because four feet for them is just like, okay, we'll get the plows out. I mean, it's pretty incredible. So you went to Minnesota in December. Already I'm impressed. Okay. All right. Did you actually get out? I mean, you know, sometimes they have trouble flying out and all sorts of stuff. So first of all, let's talk about you got there. So there you are, Mayo Clinic. What happens? This expediting workup, Maya, how did this go? Well, first we saw the post-concussion syndrome um, team. So Mayo Clinic has a really great integrated holistic approach to finding out what's wrong with people. Essentially what you do if you don't have a diagnosis and you don't know what specific department you should go to is that they put you in, they send you to a bunch of different doctors, they do a bunch of testing, And together as a team, the doctors communicate and meet with you and then decide what other measures that need to happen, what doctors you need to see. And it's really integrated in their computer system and just in their entire approach. So when I first went to Mayo Clinic, I went to see the post-concussives team and they asked me a bunch of questions. I took tests. Obviously, they gave me a physical to see if I was showing any signs. And after I saw one particular neurologist, he was checking my pulse as I was doing different positions. And he said, I don't think you have this syndrome. I think you have something that's called POTS. And we are going to go ahead and keep people in suspense (laughs) for a minute. Because if you want to know what POTS is, yes, it's a syndrome. When we come back after this quick break, we will tell you. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show today. Kashmira Reed and her daughter, Maya, talking about what do you do if you can't get a diagnosis here in the islands? Where is their help? If you want to know what POTS is, you stay with us. We'll be right back after this quick break. Miss your favorite talk show? Get it on the Talk Show Archive. Whether it's one of the weeklies, Business of the Arts, The Body Show, Bite Marks Cafe, and Town Square, or the conversation every weekday morning. It's on the HPR website. 
And if you want to talk back, the link to our email, Twitter, and Facebook are all there, too. Your favorite talk, it really is just a click away. Business news. It's not all banks and budgets and bottom lines, you know. At Marketplace, we think it can be lots of things. The big trends are leather and lace. I think that the studio knows that movie was a mistake. I love twerk like no one really should. Oreos and milk. I'm Kai Rizdon. Whether you need news or the numbers or just a little chuckle, we'll have it for you next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. All right, aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, have been in better voice in the past, but that's right. We're hearing a great story today, and right before the break, we were hearing about Maya's diagnosis. Now, to recap, she was in a car accident, actually a hit and run, and seemed to be okay, no broken bones, but had a lot of other symptoms after that, dizziness and headaches and nausea and a lot of things that didn't make sense. So she got a lot of diagnoses locally, and her mom said, I don't think so. She's not depressed. I don't agree with this. This doesn't resonate with me. I don't I don't think so. So you went to my alma mater, Mayo Clinic. You go to this great team of people. And I'm curious, Maya, were they all doctors? Or were they different specialists of different types? Your post-concussive team. Well, my post-concussive team was consisted of a physical therapist, um, a surgeon, a multiple specialist, so a neurologist. So a little bit of everything, really. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Okay. So it was really it was really complete. And they told you pots. So we've kept everyone in suspense. We're not talking about kitchen utensils. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what that is and how you fit into those criteria. So pots is a disorder. It's, cron- it's a, a syndrome. Cron- sure. A okay. syndrome, yes. And it's characterized as a chronic illness. It's an invisible illness. So POT stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and it is a form of dysautonomia. So dysautonomia is basically dysfunction of the autoimmune, the uh, autonomic not of the nervous autonomic system. nervous okay. system. Gotcha. And it has ties to autoimmune diseases, but not entirely. So what POTS is, is basically a heart condition that when you stand up or when you sit up, your heart re- your heartbeat increases above 40 beats per minute if you're an adult. So you're sitting here, you're all nice and comfortable, you stand up, and boom, your heart's running a race. Yes. And how does that physically feel? So when you're sitting down, let's say your heartbeat is around 70 to 80 beats per minute. And when you stand up for... Many POTS patients who have the dis- the chronic illness in a very debilitating form, it can go up to 130 beats per minute, 140 beats like per minute. Like you're running on a treadmill. And all you did was stand up. It's all right. That, doc- that would make me feel horrible personally. Yeah. Okay. So you get nauseous, you get dizzy, your head spins, you black out. Um, lots of people fall. I, I've fallen She's multiple times before. A couple of times. Um, so you hear about this syndrome, and this neurologist says to you in passing, Hey, I think you have this POT syndrome, this postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And does that seem to resonate with you, Mom? You get a diagnosis, 
and you hear about some of the symptoms and then you go, yeah, I think this is it. Absolutely. So that was on a Tuesday afternoon. We, we had our first appointment Monday morning. That was Tuesday afternoon. And then the next day she said, okay, now you have to take this tilt table test because we think you have it. But in order to get diagnosed, you need to be on this tilt table that goes from horizontal to vertical. And then they check your heart rate differential. And it goes and pretty more quick. Than heart, sure, heart sure. rate yeah, and, and, other, and all blood pressure, your, sweat. Right. Sweat glands, um, they hook you up to a lots of different monitors. Right. To it doesn't sound that like that much fun. It's <laughs> not very fun. And for people who actually it's like have encouraging pots, symptoms, it's, it's right. Horrible. People... It's like, let's make you worse and see if we're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. okay. That sounds but, not so But fun. that night, we were just like ecstatic. I mean, we called home. We called friends. We're like, there, we, there might be an answer. We, you know, we might, there might have be a diagnosis that matches. And for those who may not know about the autonomic nervous system, it also it uh, impacts digestion and impacts you know oxygen to the brain. It, it impacts so many different areas. Sure, everything your body does that you don't tell it to do, but it right. does automatically. Exactly. Everything is, your body does. That's on the its automatic own. part, right? Yeah. It's your off breathing, kilter. all this digestion, right. everything you got. Right. So, so it explains a lot of the different symptoms that she that she has beyond just the cardiovascular. Although now she is being treated primarily by a cardiologist. So now you finally get this diagnosis. You've gone to all different specialists here in the islands. You've flown to Minnesota in December, really cold, probably your first time seeing snow, and you find that you have this. Now, out of this whole journey, and it has been quite a journey, what have you learned from this? Maya, how about you first? Well, because you, now you know what it is. I do. Now you have treatment. And I got to say, you stood up from a chair and you didn't look like you were going to f- fall or faint yeah. or anything. <laughs> well, I, I came back from the Mayo Clinic and I was doing well. But sadly, my health took a turn for the worst in the spring after I actually went to see another cardiologist in San Diego to confirm my diagnosis and get me more options for treatment. So and he was a specialist. He was in a POTS. specialist in POTS in um, At San the Diego Scripps Clinic. So they have such a thing. Yes. At Scripps. Okay. And and how did you get worse after that? Was it a different medicine? Was it just the illness that gets worse? It or? was mostly the, um, I think, the travel, stress of school, um, okay. pushing my body too hard. I wound up in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. My body basically stopped down. functioning. Yeah. Yeah, so she was entirely. in an acute stage for that second semester of senior year. And I was on IV um, saline um, treatment two to three times a week and it continually got worse but thankfully with treatment now that I know and after all of this I have been put on medicine and I'm getting a lot better from it but I think in general no matter what I wouldn't take back all the difficulties that I've been in it's taught me so much about um, who you are as a core person and I think basing your self-worth on who you are not what you do or what you can accomplish. And I think for our viewers listening who might be struggling with any sort of chronic illness or any sort of um, difficulty, I think if, you know, if the best thing that you can do one day is just get up and make yourself breakfast or brush your teeth and comb your hair, and that's all your body can physically allow you to do, then you should be proud of that. And, you know, that's a great accomplishment. And I think um, being so sick has definitely taught me a lot about perseverance and self-discipline and um, trying your best to be a good person and hopefully this experience can help me help other people because that's what I'm drawn to do in life. 
I mean, it's incredible. You have such a positive attitude after all the difficulties you've been through. And if all you can do some days is get up and get dressed, I'll stop whining about my little sore throat because that's <laughs> nothing compared to you in a wheelchair. I mean, so I'm a little horse. Get over it. So I'm going to get over it. All right, Mom, what did you learn? Because this was a big this was a big journey for you, too. You're watching your daughter go through this. Mm-hmm. She's missing out on her senior year. Right. A lot of life experiences. But the undercurrent of all this is you didn't take no for an answer. You did your homework on the weekends. You did your homework after after work. You know, you're like, nope, I don't like this. I am going to find a different answer for my daughter. What message do you want to give to anyone else out there who feels like they're not getting the appropriate diagnosis or whatever they have doesn't resonate with them and they're afraid to go internet search or to go travel to the mainland to see a specialist, what would you tell them? Um, Well, I think that everyone's pace is different. And for me, uh, you know, seeing my daughter decline so much and not getting the help she needed was just such a motivating factor. But I think that, as Maya said, you need to be patient with yourself but at some point, um, I hope that people will have courage to ask difficult questions because it's not, I mean, doctors are intimidating. Not not you, you know, in this situation. You're well, wonderful. I've got this hoarse voice, so <laughs> but, I don't think I could intimidate you know, anybody as right people, now. People who are lay people who are not in the medical field who just, and all I really had was my intuition. So I don't I'd mess say, with the mom's intuition, especially when you're when it's a child and you or an, a spouse or a good friend. Um, just I think just trusting them and trusting your own inner instinct that something is not right and this is not you know there there's got to be something more. And so I think just like Maya said, empowering yourself with uh, research that's available. But also just reaching out, connecting. Um, I I found that if I just shared with someone, they might have an insight. Some you know some insights were not too helpful, but you know you just cir- open your circle and you open it up the universe to possibilities and to l- letting help come to you. And um, just when I had that really accepting um, email that was full of empathy from this doctor who didn't question, didn't say, oh, maybe she's just depressed. I mean, you know, she she just looked at the symptoms and said, let's try and help her. I think that um, everyone needs a doctor like that. And it's a good message. You're right. Somebody to say, yeah, let's take a fresh approach. Yeah. Let's take another look at it. I'm not going to label you. I'm not going to say what everybody else has said. Let's try something different. And I think for um, doctors here, it's difficult because it's a small population if there's um, one of the Scripps doctors is uh, trying to do a genetic testing to see if, what the genetics are with POTS. And um, so they may not see a lot of cases, but um, I think, you know, as you see your patients, if you hear about things, my message to the medical profession would just be to also try to stay open and to also do your research if you have patients that where something's not adding up. Well, I always tell my patients, if there's something weird... I'm sending you to Minnesota because <laughs> I don't know what to do about it. But I'm not going to send you in December. So I give you guys credit for going. But I think absolutely. Now, if, if anybody wants more information on POTS, I know you've mentioned earlier, you'd be more than happy to connect them 
to some resources, you can just shoot an email to the station, talk at hawaiipublicradio.org. I will forward it along to Kashmira or to Maya, and they'll get back to you. But I, I really, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about your story because neither one of you accepted what didn't ring true for you. And until you got a real official appropriate diagnosis, you weren't going to get yeah, the appropriate treatment. Exactly. And I run a blog um, for chronic and invisible illnesses. And I always tell people who ask me questions that you know yourself best. And if something isn't adding up, you have to do your own research and you have to be your own self-advocate and try your best. And don't don't let people walk over you. Don't um, don't don't allow people to tell you things about yourself if you know for a fact that they're not true or, or if you have an intuition that they're not true go out and get a second opinion go out and get a third opinion get a third opinion get a fourth opinion <laughs> yeah until you find something that resonates well and you know you mentioned empowerment and we're going to talk with our next guest about patient empowerment and what do you do in that situation when you have a diagnosis but the treatment is something that's not available in your case, Maya, you searched for a diagnosis, and once you got that, treatment has helped you. But then there's other people who don't even have the treatment available, so we're going to talk about that. But I want to thank both of you for being on today, for being open and sharing. And I love the fact that you have a blog. I think that's awesome. You're helping other people with chronic and invisible illnesses to really feel more comfortable and know that they've got somebody on their corner, in their side. That's excellent, because that's, Mom, that's what you needed. You needed a doctor to say, I'm on your side. Something's up here. I agree. And, you know, Maya, you're doing that for everybody else. So fantastic. Thank Excellent you. work. Thank you, Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story with us. So as we talk about patient empowerment, our next guest had a diagnosis for much of her life, actually. And yet it was really about the treatments that were not necessarily available as much here in the islands. We've got Christy Kessler here. She's here with Sharon Miller who co-authored a book, Five Steps for Being Your Own Patient Advocate. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy, for having me and uh, being here today. Um, a little bit nervous following Maya because she's such an inspiration, but thank you for I having me. I know. She me. did such a good job. I'm not <laughs> going to complain about my sore throat at all. You know, forget me. But uh, also, I think you did. she did. She did a wonderful job. Now, now, we have a different sort of a journey here. So you... As opposed to searching for a diagnosis, you've had a diagnosis. You were searching for treatment. So it's a, it's the second step of what we were talking about. Absolutely. And I, I can totally relate to what Maya is saying because I've been sick all my life. So even though I had a diagnosis, it came in 2007 and didn't get my stem cell transplant till 2011. It took me many, many years, um, close to 20 years to get the diagnosis. And so when so I, let's talk about what that is. Let's okay. first talk about what is the diagnosis, because you mentioned treatment. But what exactly happened and how did you get to the point where you were given a diagnosis that made sense to you? OK. Um, again, like I said, I've been sick all my life. I've never felt well in my own body. Everything has always hurt. And uh, I'm going to stop complaining about my throat again. When you of course, when you grow up in a family where. Uh, things oftentimes revolve around athletics, and you have parents that constantly tell you, hey, suck it up, you can do this, you you know, keep going, keep going. You honestly believe that everybody's going through and feels that way, but you just persevere. 
Um, anyway, in 2007, through the help of an amazing rheumatologist here on island, Dr. Christine Uramoto. Oh, by the way, Christine, dare I say it, I know her. Yes. From awesome. the Mayo Clinic. She is the best. She is. I saw her recently at Punahou Carnival. Yep. But I know her from, from my alma mater. I got to tell you, if it just wasn't so darn cold in Minnesota... I probably never would have left, but it's just too cold for me. But okay, so you saw Christine Uramoto. Yeah, I feel like we're doing a Mayo Clinic commercial here, but that's right. That's all right. So you know, there's excellent rheumatologists, lots of medical centers, but you connected with one who helped you find a diagnosis. Yes, did, was that difficult, or did you get it and it made sense to you, um, as opposed to Maya having to search for the diagnosis? You got the diagnosis. Did it resonate with you when you heard what it was? Uh, yes. After many years of being told it was all in my head, go see the psychiatrist, go over here, it must be this, it must be that. And I had been diagnosed with numerous other autoimmune diseases like lupus um, or told that um, I was a hypochondriac. Um, uh, you were told a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And so, so what did Dr. Ermoto finally diagnose you with? Scleroderma ankylosing spondylitis, and vasculitis. And, and that's a mouthful. It is. Scleroderma, ankylosing spondylitis, and vasculitis. Like not just one, not three. two, but three autoimmune diseases. All right, there goes all that. I should just move on because my parents <laughs> like athletics business. Yes. One, two, and three. Okay, so you got diagnosed in 2007. Based on what symptoms were you having? Um. It came down to a myriad of different things. Um, but again, and as Maya had mentioned earlier, it's listening to your body. It's being uh, the first step in my patient advocate book, sensibility, and knowing who you are better than anybody else knows you. So I would have an increased amount of swelling in my extremities, um, difficulty being able to swallow and keep food down, like a, almost like a sink drain. Things would just stop and... If you keep trying to eat because you're hungry, but it's blocked or it's not working, things are going to come back up. Um, massive amounts of inflammation in my blood vessels from the vasculitis. That so that cause. was causing a lot of pain? Yes. So you had swelling of your hands and feet, and then you also had pain yes. in addition to that. Okay. And um, the vasculitis causing inflammation along the blood vessels, in my, mostly in my arms, and they would get very thick and swell and look as if they were going to burst. Uh, some of them did. We had some slow bleeds. Uh, tremendous amount of back pain from the ankylosing spondylitis. Which is a back condition. Yeah. And it reflects a... Actually, at some point, your spine gets so straight, you actually can't bend very much. Right. You're sort of stuck in a fixed hopefully good posture position, Yeah, I but wasn't. it really does, sure, really does affect folks. So if you're a sloucher and now you get stuck, it's like people always say, don't make that funny face. Your face will get stuck that way. Well, okay, don't have that bad posture. In your case, it was actually getting stuck that way. Right. Okay. So, so now all these diagnoses have a theme. It's the immune system. Yeah. It's attacking itself. Something we call autoimmune. So your body, your immune system, which protects you against all the bugs and germs and stuff that I seem to get. But the immune system now has a problem. It starts attacking yourself. It attacks your own body. Yeah. So that's what was happening for you. Yeah, it, I was my own worst enemy. And with all three diseases, if you think of all the soft connective tissue in your body, and then you add the ankylosing spondylitis where you become rigid in your spine and rib cage, my body was pretty much closing in and suffocating itself. That sounds pretty horrible. 
It, it was rough. So um, you get this diagnosis, mm-hmm. and then what do you do? Well, we start, you know, at the very bare minimum, what kinds of medications can we give that will prevent the disease from progressing? There are no cures for any of these three diseases. We know that throughout the world, okay? So what can we do to slow it down? And essentially for me, um, things would work maybe a month or two, and then we would have to go to the next level. And so this kept going all the way from, for three years, 2007 to 2010, where finally I was on uh, uh, methotrexate injections, which is a form of chemotherapy, into my abdomen weekly. And then we went to actual chemo infusions uh, over at uh, a couple of different hospitals here. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with our next guest today, Christy Kessler. We're talking about what is it like when you have a diagnosis, when you're on maximum medical therapy, and yet you still don't feel like you're getting better. When we come back, we're going to talk about her journey and go over the five steps to being your own patient advocate. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I really appreciate the quality of the programming, whether it's the locally produced programs or the national programs that are brought in. There's just a level of excellence there that that doesn't appear anywhere else in the broadcast media. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. It's a rare type whose favorite spot to visit in Paris is underground. The first time I went in the catacombs, it was the biggest paradigm shift of my entire life. And arranging flash art projects is a good way to see people smile all around the world. You don't need money to get the magic, that's for sure. It's Urban Explorers and Public Art on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Aloha and welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Christy Kessler and we are talking about patient empowerment. Now to bring us up to speed, Christy was suffering with a variety of different illnesses and finally got a diagnosis somewhere around 07 or so. You got not one, not two, but three, scleroderma, ankylosing spondylitis, and vasculitis. And then you started the journey with medicine. Yes. Similar to what Maya said, you know, they were giving you a lot of medication In your case, it was actually treating the disease. They had a diagnosis. In her case, some of the medicines didn't yet fit the diagnosis because she didn't have that yet. So you've got a diagnosis. You're taking these medications. They are not simple medicines. These can be toxic. Yeah. They they were extremely difficult to tolerate. Um, I had set a goal for myself. And uh, when you talk about perseverance, which Maya did, which is one of my five steps we'll get to, but I had set a goal for myself. I would not allow myself to go out on sick leave until I had achieved tenure at the University of Hawaii. Okay, that's just putting a little stress on you. Yeah. Um, okay. But the reality was that if this, if these three diseases were going to kill me, that was one achievement I wanted to have before I passed. Or if I was going to be able to get the treatment I needed, I needed tenure so that I would be able to take my sick leave and have a job to come back to. So really, this was logistics in addition to trying to motivate yourself. Exactly. Now, let's talk about these five steps, because at this point, you're in the journey of the five steps. Yes. And then we'll talk about the stem cell transplant that that you wound up seeking out of the the country. Absolutely. So let's go over the five steps. What are our five steps? 
Well, we start off with uh, the first S is sensibility. The second one is teamwork. The E is for education. The P is for patience slash, slash perseverance. And the last S is for sustainability. And um, interestingly enough, Maya is, is already doing these five steps. She's doing them all without even writing a book about it. Yeah. And she just inherently did it. Yes. Okay. And, and a really uh, strong inspiration for, for younger patients who are dealing with all kinds of stuff. So tell us how these five steps helped you to get to the point where you were able to find your own cure. Okay. It starts with uh, sensibility and, again, spending a lifetime trying to find out why I don't feel well. And that learning as, as I was growing up that the same pains that I had that I thought all my friends had, they, they didn't, didn't. Have. They didn't have it. Yeah. So now I'm realizing, oh, okay, we all don't have pain when we sit crisscross applesauce on the uh, rug in kindergarten. Um, so the sensibility part comes into listening to your body. And I had been told by doctors over and over and over again, journal, keep a log of all of your symptoms. And for me, I guess because I'm, I'm an educator and in every, it seemed like every graduate course I took, we were told to keep a journal. So the idea of journaling was just something I did not want to do. It's and, like I do enough of this at work. Yeah. Don't make me do it at home. Exactly. Okay. All right. So what I did was also learning that not every doctor is created equal in their ability to listen to patients. I needed to develop a tool where I could go in and say this is what's wrong and use that to trigger the two-way communication between us. Because if I tried to just remember it all in my head, you say something, they interject, and poof, I've forgotten what it is I really wanted to say. I love when people write down notes. Yeah. Then you know you've gotten everything answered or accomplished. It's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, you can't read my handwriting. Luckily, we use an electronic medical record. But <laughs> okay, so you started using uh, note-taking to establish your symptoms to help you have that two-way communication with your doctors. Yeah. Okay. I took on the, uh, what I do as a teacher, basically using some things like brainstorming and then developing a T-chart uh, system where it's not just long narratives where you're handing a doctor a journal to read. Yeah, what's a T-chart? I don't know what that is. Um, basically, what I did was I made two columns, and on the left side, they were my... Um, my plus symptoms, all the things that had really been at the forefront of my life over either the past two weeks since I had last been to a doctor or sometimes towards the end when I was getting ready for the transplant, I was going weekly to my doctor. And then the right-hand side was for secondary symptoms that were there, but they weren't necessarily prohibiting me from doing daily things, okay? So you had your symptoms set out. Mm -hmm. You use this as your tool. Is this part of the education part of your steps? Actually, or is this, this part of the teamwork? This is part of the sensibility. Oh, we haven't stopped for, okay, yeah. we didn't leave number okay. one. So, okay. So then what happens is you move into teamwork, and that is the group of people that you need to, you need to have around you. Now, the most important thing about teamwork and something that a lot of patients don't take control of and that is you have to be the coach of your own team so you're the team leader yeah i'm okay. the coach then you need to have your main doctor that's your quarterback okay for some people it's a primary care physician 
In my case, because it was autoimmune, it's Dr. Christine Aramoto. It was a rheumatologist, sure, yeah. absolutely. Shout out to Christine out there if you're listening. Yeah. So um, what we did was, with her expertise and with some of the things I'll talk about in education, we put together the the starting lineup, so to speak, of doctors who would be working with me here in Hawaii. So it's similar to what Maya said. She had this group of specialists, the post-concussive syndrome specialists, that had this whole team. Yes. You're talking about a team. In this case, Maya had a slightly different experience because she found out she didn't have that syndrome. Right. But you're talking a team of doctors. They're working together, trying to help you. Okay, so you've got your teamwork. But don't forget, you're the coach. So if there's somebody on your team that in your gut doesn't feel right, you as the coach has to make the, the decision to replace re- them. Okay. either replace them or rearrange or okay. find another way to work with them. So then we go into education, and this is where, um, again, with Maya's story, sometimes we hear from doctors, stay away from the Internet because you're going to hear stories that are so drastic or so bad or they are the extremes. But in reality, you owe it to yourself to become as educated as you can about what you feel and maybe what your disease or illnesses are, okay? And when I'm going to buy a car, I'm looking on the Internet. So when it comes to myself and my diseases, I'm looking on the Internet. Well, and it also depends on where you look, right? too. There's some great medical websites. There's some websites that try and sell you things or try and sell you supplements that you take forever for your lifetime. I mean, again, I think you have to be an educated consumer of what's on the Internet and not believe everything you read. Right. But search for things that are true. You know, you've got your you've got your Hopkins, you've got your Massachusetts General Mayo Clinic, you've got your UC system, you've got University of Washington. There's some big medical centers that have great websites with fabulous information. You just got to know where to look. Yeah. So, okay. So don't be scared of the internet. Right. Take a look. Educate yourself. And right. don't be afraid to connect with people through social media who have the same illnesses you have. So social media, you're talking Facebook and Twitter and yep. email and all that kind of yep. stuff. I met uh, one, probably my biggest champion through the whole process was a small bowel transplant patient in London. Who Different country. That's right. Different diagnosis. They're your champion. Okay, yep. they're on your they're on your team. Okay. Okay. So once we you know allow ourselves to educate ourselves, you want to bring, be able as a coach to bring that back to your team because again, doctors don't have all the time in the world to sit and research just one patient. So again, as a coach, developing that communication and being able to share new learnings. Okay, so to speak, the perseverance and patience comes in when, even though you have a diagnosis. And you know, ultimately, that one, you're either going to live with this chronic illness the rest of your life, or it's going to be a while for you to get where you need to be for that treatment. You just have to keep moving forward. And you've got to have patience with yourself, with your doctors, but you also have to persevere. And that means you have to know when to push, and you have to know when to sit back a little bit and say, okay, I need to take a deep breath and remember to be patient. Get some rest, do some other things so you're not keeping pushing your body to the point where it may not be able to even tolerate treatments because you're not treating your body well. Right. You're just pushing and pushing. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the last one is sustainability. And this is something that from the beginning of, you know, whenever you start feeling bad, 
um, even yourself, you know, you're having a sore throat today. Oh, come on. That's nothing. No, but seriously. I can't complain. No, you can't complain. But by the same token, you had to find ways just today to sustain yourself to be here to have your show. People loved it. I just said, right. I can't talk to you. That's right. I can't yell at you for your cholesterol. <laughs> I'm going to be quiet now. I think people loved it. They were very happy. But okay, sustainability. So it can. So be, in your case, it's a big right. illness and you have to just make sure that you can arrange your life so that you can keep living it, really. Yeah. Body, mind, and spirit. This is this goes beyond just your physical being. Because honestly, it's all connected. Yeah. I don't think we appreciate enough how body, mind, and spirit are connected. Absolutely. And in medical school, I know when I was taught, it was sort of like that was that voodoo science elsewhere. But when you really <laughs> think about it, it's so interconnected. If we could just approach it with that holistic standpoint, people would get a lot better. Because what's wrong with your body affects your mind and definitely affects your spirit. Absolutely. And vice versa. What's wrong with your mind is going to affect your body. So, yeah. okay, so you find a way to incorporate all that. Now, with all of that patient empowerment, you did something not a lot of people would have the guts to do. I left the country. You left the country. Now, lots of people leave the country for tours and for fun reasons, you know, but what did, what did you leave the country for? I went to Turkey uh, for my stem cell transplant. And, and this is not something available in the U.S.? It is available. Okay. Um, and here's the ironic thing. For We're, your diagnosis? No. Okay. We have a lot of doctors, a lot of cancer centers around the United States doing the exact same stem cell transplant for various types of cancer patients daily. But because of our FDA, along with our insurance companies, um, an autogolous, which is using your own stem cells, okay, doing one uh, peripheral blood stem cell transplant is not recognized by the FDA yet for the three diseases I have. They're still in research phase. So they're looking at it. They haven't approved it. Right. Since they didn't approve it, they won't cover for you to do it. Right. So that's what made you leave the country. Yes. And essentially being told that because I had three autoimmune diseases, I did not fit nicely into one of their pigeonhole research studies. Because what are their research studies? Are they not looking at autoimmune? Oh, no, they are. They but are. But you, only, you can but only, you only have, have one. one. Oh, or, so you have three. So yeah. because you're so sick to have three but don't have a tumor, yeah. you can't have this treatment. That right. So could be life-saving. Yeah. And kind of was. It is. Yes. Um, so I, anyway, I found a doctor outside of Istanbul. Just so happens the hospital is affiliated with Johns Hopkins. It is their international partner, and there's a reason for that. Uh, doctors from Hopkins and doctors from Anna DeLue Medical Center together can do research that isn't so sanctioned by a governing body that says yes or no. And what I found out is these stem cell transplants for autoimmune patients have been happening for 10 years in Europe. And so knowing what it would have cost out of pocket, if I could have found a doctor in the United States to do the transplant for cash, it would have been upwards of $250,000. The hospital in Turkey, it was $56,000, and that included living there for two months uh, for my partner and myself. And that was still cheaper than if I had had to pay co-pays had my insurance covered the transplant. So you got a bargain. Really. I did. What was your experience there? People hear about medical tourism all the time, and they don't quite know what to say about it. What was your experience there? Would you suggest people 
do that for other medical illnesses if they could get treatment in the U.S.? Did you have such a good experience? Or was there something there that was just so surprisingly different that at first you didn't really feel comfortable but then went with the flow? Well, it comes back to educating yourself. You have to start, as I did, I found a medical tourism company that was certified by the BBB. Um, Better Business Bureau. Yes. Okay. And uh, their reputation was stellar. And then from there, they connected me with Anna Dulu Medical Center. The thing that was so different, now keep in mind, because of being sick all my, all my life and the number of hospital stays, the thing that stood out from the time I landed at the airport in Istanbul where we were greeted with an amazing entourage of people as we came out of customs and a chauffeur-driven shuttle to the hospital where we were going to be put in our hotel room that's connected to the hospital. Um, From that very beginning, they cared not just about me and my physical ailment, but body, mind, and spirit. And so the hotel is directly linked to the hospital there's a corridor, you know, where you can you can walk back and forth. But also the amenities in the room, making sure I, I would be comfortable, making sure that my partner had what she would need. Um, taking the time to make sure that we were maintaining contact with family back in the United States. Those kinds of things. So would I go again? Absolutely, hands down. In a heartbeat, really. Yeah. There's a reason why in the United States our health care is ranked where it is, and it varies depending on the year and depending on the disease. I'm not slamming the United States. What I recommend is becoming as educated as you can be and what your options are. Financially, I would still be um, underwater, so to speak, if I had had the transplant in the United States and had to pay those copays. And yet, when you did the transplant elsewhere, you were able to fund it, but you also had, it sounds like, a better experience than you would have expected Yes, had you had it here. Now, that depends because, you know, I know that there are medical centers that do some of those same things. But yeah. it sounds like the overall theme really was empowerment. You yes. have to be educated. We've kind of talked about that with, with Maya as well, being educated so that you know if something doesn't resonate with you, if you don't feel as though what's being said is true, keep looking. Don't be scared of the Internet. And don't be scared of your own inner voice. Go with it. Go with it. And if it's loud, keep listening. Because, you know, in life you learn. If you don't listen the first time, the inner voice gets louder. Yes. If you don't listen the second time, it gets even louder. (laughs) Sooner or later, it becomes deafening. So I want to thank both of you for sharing your story with us. Now, you wrote a book, Christy, Five Steps to Being Your Own Patient Advocate. That's available. People can take a look at, they can look you up or they can go to, Hawaii Public Radio, send us a link and we'll be able to get you that information. Again, a great story today about how to take care of yourself. And if what you hear isn't what you feel comfortable with, keep going. Our engineer today, David Chong, executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'll have a voice next week. We will see you then right here at 5.